Freya, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much, Robin, for having me on Face Culture. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for taking the time. So before we jump into your new album, Blood Orange, I'd like to jump back to the beginning. Now, I believe you were playing open mics since you were 12. And yeah. I heard you say about this period, it, it really started making a difference once you started writing your own songs. What compelled you to kind of write your own thoughts on paper? It's so interesting because for me growing up, my dad, he's an actor and a voiceover artist, but his true passion in life is music 100%. And we have like guitars, acoustic guitars all over the house. Like every room, there's like at least three or four. It's like it's an addiction at this point. But I just watched how much he would sit around the kitchen table with his acoustic guitar and he'd write and he'd play and he'd sing, you know. And I think growing up, I just watched that. And I thought that's what you did. I kind of didn't know that wasn't normal, you know? <laughs> and I didn't really, I, I was never really like peer orientated or at school, I was quite sort of like ostracized and bullied. So I kind mm. of imprinted more on the adults in my life and like watching my mom and my, and my mom plays like Celtic harp and the piano okay. really beautifully. And so did my grandma. Um, so for me, it was kind of, I just thought you had to choose your instrument. Um, but I look back and I'm like, no, I was definitely like, I was drawn to it. And I used to like, you know, when I was little, I used to try and like play individual notes. And my mom would sit with me on her lap and, and help me learn. So for me, music was a huge part of our family. Um, and I just felt like I was quite late to the game by picking up a guitar at nine. And I started, mm. um, I started piano lessons at seven, but I quickly found that once you get up to grade level, you have to be able to read music because mm. I'm very, very dyslexic. I really, really struggled to read the music and I couldn't like the lines, I couldn't tell the difference right. between the notes. And the same with reading and writing. Like if you like, if it's a story that I can tell like verbally or like sing, I love that. If I have to write it down, like school is really, really tough because I think, you know, that's kind of the the benchmark of what you're supposed to do, and I couldn't do it. So, um, but music kind of was my escape after that, and that's kind of why I started writing songs because it was like I would turn to the piano or the guitar, you know, instead of a friend, um, and that's kind of just what happened. But yeah, I started playing open mic nights. I think my first one was when I was eleven. And then after that, I just, I literally got struck by a lightning bolt to the chest. And I was like, that's the first time I felt like I was my like true authentic self outside of the house. And I was very, very shy. And then after that, I was like, I just, I was so addicted. And my dad would carry (laughs) my keyboard or my guitar around to North London open mic nights. And it just never stopped. (laughs) And you mentioned feeling ostracized at school and i don't want to bring up old wounds or anything but but what did you were those the things that you then wrote about uh, those early attempts at songwriting yeah one of the first songs i ever wrote when i was like nine was about um these two girls who were being really mean to me and i was like not nothing i'm a person too with love and heart and feelings too bless i was like nine years old and i heard the voice memos i'm like oh my god bless me what the hell I sound so little I was like what is going on but I really like I don't know why but I kind of turned to like the blues like Mm. I was in I was a nine-year-old you know (laughs) red-headed ginger girl and that's what I turned to was the blues and I think ironically a lot of people it's like you do turn to it in those dark times and I was just so grateful to have like a little life raft to hang on to um but yeah that's kind of where it began and then the next song was about a boy that I fancied in my class when I was like 10 who didn't like love me back or whatever and then it just began I was like oh this is what I do now (laughs) but uh, am I right in saying that you mentioned the blues but am I right in saying that you're also um very much in love with kind of that 70s disco era uh type of music all of the 70s I just feel like there was something going on in that decade almost Mm. like late 60s into the whole of the 70s for me that's like 
there isn't a song that I can listen to from that decade that I don't love. I think the way they recorded the music, the kind of the fact it was on, you know, tape and the fact that they were real instruments and real people, real voices and the imperfections. I think we've got so used to hearing like perfection sure. in vocals that you kind of almost miss out on some of the the grit and the heart and the, you know, the kind of emotional connection. So for me, over lockdown, that was all I listened to. And it was hugely okay. inspired by the next album, um, Blood Orange, which I wanted to have that kind of, in a modern pop way, but I wanted it to have a sort of a feel of that. Okay, before we continue on this, a little bit more background, because what I find interesting is then a lot of people can have the idea, well, I would like to be a singer or I would like to sing and write songs. But then you have to do it. <laughs> you have to first uh, hear your own voice and think, okay, this is actually a voice that can do what I want to do. So so when when was that kind of uh, transformation from, from just just having fun with it to I I can actually do this and I'm this isn't just just fucking around <laughs> excuse my I language think, I think it was when I was like eight years old and I watched Love Actually for the first time and I've been playing piano for about a year but like really really badly just learning like basic stuff um and I watched Love Actually near the scene with the little girl who sings All I Want for Christmas with You at the end I was like, whoa, she's so cool. And she looks like a sort of like 10 year old, you know? And I was eight and I was like, oh, I want to be like her. And I went to my bedroom. I was like, I'm just going to see if I can like sing that song. And I was like, I don't want to love. And like, I did like this um, voice memo on one of my dad's recording little devices things. Mm. And I called like my friend, my best friend from primary school at the time who eventually moved away. And that was another reason why I was super lonely after that. But basically I called her and I was like, I think I can sing. And she's like, what? And I was like, yeah, I think I can sing. Um, and then I sang it to her on the phone. She was like, oh, yeah, it's not bad. Um, and then, I don't know, I just kind of like, I kept it secret, but I was like, always like, I wanted to, I wanted to sing. And I think it was when I went to my next school, because I was being so badly bullied at the first one. I think I sang on the playground and this girl was like, I can sing and like got everyone around. And I had to sing in front of them. And it was like the first time that they'd actually treated me like a human being. And I was like, fuck, this is so cool. I was like, oh my God, people actually like me. I was like, ah, <laughs> it was addictive. I won't lie. But then it was also like, there was like this one musical night a year called The Celebration. And it was a night where people could play music. And it was almost like I I was kind of in my little shelf the whole year. You know, I didn't really sit with people at lunch because no one wanted to sit with me. So I just go to the piano room and like, and just play my heart out every, every, year I'd come back mm. with new songs and like try again and it was the one night where everyone was like wow so for me I was like it was just the first time I got treated with respect outside mm. of the house and in uh, that environment and I was just completely addicted to it because at home yeah. I was shown so much respect that I was like it was strange to me to be bullied when I left the house I was like this is just weird so I think I was kind of coming back into my true true self oh, but that's very interesting to to because I can imagine yeah that'd be very addictive because finally you can kind of show who you are so, so yeah. and, and that development, because, uh, and, and I've read uh, a bunch of interviews uh, that you talked about, uh, uh, about your first foray into the music industry. And it, it's, yeah. it's not a fun industry in, in a way. It, it can be quite, uh, yeah, let's just leave it at that. It's a, it's, it's a very volatile yeah. business. Um, so, so when you kind of, you have this dream and you, you enter the music business and and then all kinds of, yeah, strange things. I read one story where, and I think this is very cool that you did this at, at such a young age, but you kind of went, well, they're not respecting me and I want to show myself, so, so screw them, I'm going home. That that kind of mentality, uh, yeah. 
where did that come from? And I think that's very, very interesting to do at such a young age when you think everything is happening, but you, you stood firm. So, so where did that come from? I think it was from my mom. My mom raised me really like, she gave me so much respect from a young age. Mm. You know, she, she let me dress myself from when I was like two and a half. Okay. And I, one, one whole summer I wore welly boots the wrong way around, but I was <laughs> determined to do it. And, and older grandmas would be like, what are you doing with her? And she's like, she's her own person. Mm. And I think I really appreciate that. And, you know, I didn't have to kiss or hug people that I didn't want to kiss or hug. She was like, this is her decision. It's like, I'm not going to make you do that for it. And I always right. remember being like, thank you. Like, and for me, it's those little acts of respect that kind of build up into that internal, like, self-esteem that you get. And for me, I was shocked that the first session that I ever did, like, in the music industry with a proper producer went so, like, you know, that he was so kind of verbally abusive. But mm. I was like, I've never experienced that again. And so it's really, really strange to me that I feel for people when it's like, when you're breaking into the music industry and you haven't got any success behind you yet, people can be a bit more, like, volatile. Mm. But your internal measurement, like, I had people tell me, like, you know, my songs were, like, too sad and, like, boring and I needed to write happy songs. I should like not have my second name. And I was like, my mom was like, as a woman, you're taught to shrink. And I'm like tall naturally. And she's like, just take up as much room as you need to take up in this world because no one's going to give that to you. You know, mm. you don't, you don't need to dye your hair. You don't need to change your name. You just need to really focus on, you know, the songs and the stories that you're telling because they're, they're true. And that's what matters. And you kind of have to just hold on. And it's so tempting to be like, to chase right. those trends. But I promise you, when I wrote Lost Without You, I mean, when I wrote it, Love Island didn't even exist. Like, you know what I mean? There's so many, and ballads were not cool at that point. They were not cool. Like, no mm. one wanted to sign me, no one. In fact, someone almost did and then didn't, and I was heartbroken. So okay. when, you know, I got signed by an indie label, I was so grateful to them for giving me a chance and giving me a chance to, like, actually be myself. But um, I held on because I knew the majors weren't going to give me that opportunity. I knew that. So I took a very small record deal. And I remember my lawyer being like, I can get you a much better deal. And I was like, I don't want more money. I don't. I want people who believe in me and who are going to mm. let me be myself and be my most authentic self. Because I think that's the best shot I've got, basically. Yeah. You mentioned you kept holding on. What keeps you going in those tough moments? Is it, is it just the love for making music? Is it, is it just certain you want to prove something <laughs> to the world? What is it? It's so interesting you say that because I actually don't know. I don't know. Okay. I've always been like weirdly determined, okay. especially when people like don't think I can do something. That's my most like, <laughs> it's almost like a magic trick. You know, you go, one of my favorite quotes, we actually have a Batman mask in our front room. <laughs> and it's like my favorite quotes is, is what Batman said. <laughs> it's what you do in the darkness that puts you in the light. And when I heard that quote, I was like, I'm going to do this. I was like, no one is putting their money on me. No one, but mm. I am. And I'm going to really, you know, my parents, they, they championed me. And I think I had a lot of like emotional support. And I think it takes a huge amount of emotional support to be an artist. Mm. You feel so vulnerable all the time. And to be fair, like if I'd have had like even one or two really bad experiences, I might not have done it. But okay. every time I played, you know, the whole pub would like turn and be like, yeah keep going and I was like oh okay um but yeah you just you need that support when you're starting out because you don't have the internal you just don't know wh which way you're going but I'm really happy that I had parents that championed my songwriting from a young age because that's the only power you have in this industry the only yeah, power. it's great to hear that that your parents were so supportive and that they, they gave you some some uh wisdom along the way I think uh, that's really cool to hear yeah.
once that first album is released and then the success starts pouring in, does does do things change or is it still? Do you still see yourself as as that person, kind of uh, in the dark, writing alone? Is real music dying? What even is real music, and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician, and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird, and the deep questions. And we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer, or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. A hundred percent. I I feel like you, I don't really feel like, yes, success is amazing. I'm not going to lie. When you've had so many years in the wilderness and in the darkness, it's just so good to be able to be like, you know, you can just be like, oh, my mum falls on bars, you can't fall below. And you're like, sometimes that is gorgeous. And like, you're not resting on that. But mm. especially after like, you know, five years of playing Lost Without You around sure. open mic nights and people being just like, cool. It's like to actually have it, you know, been in the top 10 I'm like yeah I like to have discs I'm just like nice. what like when I was growing up I did an art project at school and they asked you to make anything you wanted and I got some of my parents like little vinyls and um, they probably hate me for this but I glued <laughs> them like three of them to a board and I painted like colors around the board and I put it on my wall and I kind of guess I like manifested it because it's like mm. that that time there was no way that that was going to be a possibility. You know, I didn't actually come from people who were in the music industry and it did sure. felt like there was a big iron gate, you know, and it felt impossible to get through. It really did. And it was actually, you know, because someone has to put their neck on the line to sure. get you in. And it's like not many people want to do that. And I was really lucky that someone I went to school with was interning at the indie label mm. that I signed to. And he was basically like, in a meeting one day they're like we don't have any ideas do you know anyone and he's like yeah I know this girl from my school and I think she's she's got a good voice and good songs and I was like he did that for me so I think you know I said thank you to him in my album notes and I'm, I think I'm very aware that it takes a village and it looks like it's just me but it takes it takes a lot of people yeah well, I was gonna say I, I read this uh, where you said it, you started to realize how, how much of a team effort it is and obviously it's your name on top but it's it's very much a team effort and even from the from the support of your parents and and that that kind of uh, support system that you have I, I think uh, that's yeah it's very important. yeah I think it's so interesting because at Brit school I think um, it's a really amazing school. But in the year that I had, it was such a weird mentality. Everyone just thought they could do it on their own. And I was mm. like, even like when we do a show, you know, the backstage crew, the people who are doing the lighting, the people who are doing the sound, you're like, you would just be like yelling in a dark box without these people. And I'm like, and they showed no respect to them. And I was like, this is just mm. weird to me. I think growing up, you know, my dad, like on the set of films, was always like best friends with the makeup ladies, like best friends with like, with everyone, because he understood that, even though it's your face that gets shown, it's like a hundred, two hundred, a thousand people's work over the years who've helped you get there. And I think even as a solo artist, like I'm not like a band, I still, I like that camaraderie and I like to remember right. that I worked really hard, but so did a lot of other people to champion me. And so you just, you always have to take that as just the truth. And I think people don't see that from the outside. So I think it's important to just remind up and coming artists to, to take that collaboration and wisdom very seriously because it's it's important 
Yeah, and I said, I think especially during the lockdowns, it became evident how, how important all those uh, sections of the music industry are from, from people, I should yeah. say, who are doing the lighting, doing the sound, just venues, and everybody who's contributing to, to the fact that we can listen and, and, and go to live concerts. And I think yeah. it's very important. Yeah. And the songs allow you to do that. Like my dad was always like, he's like, you know, like one ballad can change your life. And I was like, I will see about that. <laughs> but then, you know, I went through my first heartbreak and I, I wrote Lost Without You. And it was just like, there was a change. I was like, that song is different from all the songs I've written before. I don't know where it came from, but it was kind of from a different place. Um, I didn't think about it. It just kind of came out fully formed and that never happens. So I'm still very, very lucky for that. And it's like, it's something... I've really wanted to dive back into writing this next album was like a lot of pressure kind of got put on it after it was successful mm. to do it again. And I think it's when you sort of aren't trying that the best things happen. So you have to kind of get back to that mind headspace and lockdown really helped do that. Cause suddenly I, I had no choice, but to just be back at my parents and just writing back at the piano again. So it was kind of really, it was good. It was like back to full circle. But I find it. This is, uh, I don't know the exact timeline, but uh, I think you went on tour in Australia and then that was kind of yeah. ended and then, then the whole pandemic thing happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were about to go to LA to start working on the next album. Okay. And I was so nervous. I didn't want to do it. I was exhausted. I was so tired. Um, And I just remember being like, I heard we were going home and I was like, I'm so relieved. Like, obviously I hope everyone's going to be healthy and well, and this is really scary. But I was like, please God, get me home. I'm so tired. Um. And I really appreciated that time. I was like, I was back with my family, back around the piano. And, you know, we were kind of back in that, like, there's no one but us kind of no mm. pressure mentality, you know? And I was putting a lot of pressure on myself for the second album. And over the lockdown, I just kind of took it off. I was like, you know, I like, I, I gripped so hard to get the first album to be something. And this one, I was like, I just want this one to be a joy. Like, I don't want to find it as painful. Um, to record it. Writing it's always, a, you know, a joy, but recording I found really scary. And this album, mm. I actually put a lot more joy into it, which is fun. Yeah, and this, this maybe goes back to kind of that 70s influence. But um, yeah, w w what I was wondering about, because I don't know the timeline, uh, in part, this album is about a breakup. And I, was that yeah. before you kind of went back home and started writing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we've been broken up for about, I think, like, three months or two or three okay. months at that point and for me I was just kind of running on adrenaline like hiding from it mm. and it was just so easy to hide from it because so much was going on sure but I was still feeling it in the quiet moments you know and then I think in Australia I was like I was feeling really sort of run down and I was like I actually am starting to feel it a little bit and then it was something that we came home and suddenly there was just silence and you're like oh mm. my god there is nowhere to hide but there's also nowhere to hide from like the fact that I was like I really really love this person you know what I mean? Like, for me, I was like, sure. holy crap. Like, before I was trying to convince myself, I was like, I'm so busy. Like, you know, like, I can do anything. And it's like, no, like, the reason why I'm so passionate about music is because it's to tell people that I love things that I can't say mm. to them. And then suddenly the music had gone above the people. And I was like, that's wrong. It's the wrong way around. Right. And the, the two years allowed me to, like, flip it back over and was like, no, the people that I love come first. And then the music that I write about them and the things that I struggle to say to them or even to myself, that's going to be my life's work, but it's not going to be the number one thing that I do anymore. Yeah. Right. And then th this idea of, of writing down and, and thinking about the things that, that you have trouble saying in real life, to, you have to be very 
not only honest with other people, but honest with yourself. And and that that's not always the yeah. easiest thing to do. So what was that like for you? And as a songwriter, because you you, you already showed signs of this when you were nine years old and writing about those kind of things so how do you see that development to to being open and vulnerable that's such a good question because honestly i feel like the first album was kind of a lot of me being like why did this happen to me <laughs> and then this second album was like it's happening again like i think i'm gonna start you know looking as like inwards more like am i the common denominator in this mm. level of like re repeated loneliness and repeated heartbreak i'm like I think I'm having something to do with it. Before I was just like, why? And now I'm just like, no, it's definitely me. I should definitely work on this. Um, you know, and the kind of like, that's why that it's called Blood Orange because it's kind of like the inner growth mm. that you do during your like, you know, early to mid to late twenties. It's like you grow huge, these leaps forward, you know? Sure. You know, from like 18 to 28 is like, I am a completely different person, sure. but also the exact same. So it's it's really strange to kind of well it's beautiful to have like a little time capsule of watching that because when I started this album I like I didn't think I could come back to music I was too scared I really mm. was and this album helped me overcome so many things like like brick by brick it helped me kind of rebuild myself song by song and then eventually I just started really enjoying it I was like determined to overcome my biggest fear which was kind of the like we were talking about earlier with the singing in the playground it was kind of people pleasing and it's like mm. i was trying to impress people and that's okay. exhausting you can't you can't maintain that and that's sure. why i was so tired you know even like behind the scenes with my team i was like i was trying too hard and i just i wanted it to be more effortless and i wanted it to be more authentic and even if it wasn't like as pretty or perfect i wanted it to be like just more authentic and just kind mm. of flow but it takes a lot of courage to do that because if sure. someone rejects that then they're really rejecting you, you know? If someone rejects a fake version of you, it doesn't hurt. But then <laughs> sure. you're not really connected with people. So it's like, it's kind of a pro and con. And I've just, with this album, I've gone for the, I'm just going to say the things that really scare me again and mm. again and again and again and see what kind of album I make. And I'm really proud of it, which is crazy. Yeah. I never thought I'd do that. Now that you're on the other side, in a way, did, did, did you figure some things out about yourself? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think the one of the biggest things is that I was being very very harsh on myself you know whether that was in creating music in the studio or even like working out I was being like so sort of like, aggressive to myself and being like come on come on come on and it's like that was not making me happy mm. and I think just as a general thing it's like you know I just I stopped doing really intense workouts and now I just do like lots of walking outside in like nature and like pilates and like I've lost like three stone so like mm. I was so desperate to do that before and I was like, and it's the same with the music. I was so determined for it to be successful. I was like, oh, like crying in sessions and like, like, you know, not being able to sleep because I was so determined. Mm. And now I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm in this place where just kind of whatever will be, will be, but I'm just going to enjoy it. That's literally my only goal is to like lower the stress in my life and just up the authenticity. And I think just put down the walls a little bit and just see what happens. What gave rise to this transformation then? Because obviously something like that doesn't happen from one day to the next. And then you kind of describe this album as uh, 18 months of, of some of the worst times of your life and then 18 months of, of some of the best times of your life. Uh, Completely so, agreed, yeah. So, so but, but again, that, that doesn't happen in a day. So, so how did that transformation go? And did, did writing this album play a big part in that? I think, yeah, it did. Like, it could have been a very different album. 
mm. especially if I hadn't got the the time to stop at the time like lockdown was really scary because suddenly there was there's a lot more pressure on your second album but suddenly there was no help you know there was no feedback and I basically just like I turned to the fans and I was like I'm going to be on Instagram doing a, a weekly live stream for an hour every Tuesday night if you want to tune in and help me make this album because I have all these songs and these feelings and I don't know which ones to choose or to go forward with and I'm going to play you know old songs like Lost of Lion and Castles and we're just going to have a mm. chat and a tea every week and we did 14 weeks of that and we called them the lockdown live streams and I could not be more grateful to them for that because I don't think they realize it's like my indie label basically ceased to exist they went from having 40 right. people in the office four so I I didn't have an A&R for this album no one helped me choose these songs and that is okay. terrifying because every album that you know has fantastic people working in that department and I didn't have anyone. So basically I, I had to turn to the fans, my family, you know, reconnecting with the person I love, like trying to rebuild those friendships from like the ground up. Um, and I let them help me. And I never had done that before. I was determined to do it on my own and to be like, I can do this on my own, even though I was struggling. Mm. And this album was, it was helped massively by the fact that I I let them that feedback and and it was so crystal clear once you know the fans were like we like this song we like this song I was like oh cool and you know like people don't ask fans enough they're they're so obsessed with like the music industry that you're like you forget the point is to <laughs> connect with your fans right. some people are like I have to go through this to get to that and it's like no you can just do that and just you know I really miss seeing their faces like these are people that I'd seen like you know multiple times on tour like every night sometimes so it's like to be able to connect with them and they still send me messages now being like you got me through lockdown one and I'm like you guys got me through lockdown one as well like you gave me something to look forward to every week something to put on like nice clothes for I was like oh thank you you know yeah, and I think this goes into and I always like to ask this question but it goes into how how one defines success because uh, if, if you appraise it by saying okay I need a certain amount of money in my bank and I want to play stadiums everywhere I go that's obviously that can be a goal and that's that's commendable but yeah. at the same time there's nothing wrong with uh, just living your life and not worrying yeah. about too much of the of the circus around it and I mean if you yeah. if you can make that connection with people then then for a lot of people at least for, uh, I hear that from a lot of musicians that can be enough so have you, have you kind of said, I can imagine after the first album of success, like you say, you put a lot of pressure on yourself, but have you settled down now and, and that part of letting go that you mentioned, how did you kind of achieve that? Was it was it just reading? Was it just growing older? I, I don't know. It's a lot of Zoom therapy. I've okay. done like two and a bit years. Okay. <laughs> so that massively helped. Mm. And also like, you know, moving out of my parents' place, like we like mm. bought our first place and it's like, that's an honor. Like I would never have had that opportunity without music. Like I would never have been able to basically ever move out. So I think <laughs> knowing that there's a world where this didn't happen just gives you great perspective. And I think having that time kind of away, kind of forcibly, like I needed it, but now it's back, I'm so excited. I'm like, there's no, it's not a given you get to come back and do music or a given you'll ever hear your songs on the radio again. Mm. It's just not. So when you do, it's kind of, it gives it a new perspective. And I think, yeah, I did a lot of work. I think I did a lot of work on myself. I'm not going to lie. I did like, you know, years of therapy. Like, like I did like a lot of life coaching, which I really love. My mum's friend who really helped me like with visualization and like kind mm. of overcoming the subconscious blocks that we all have to success that we don't know we have. Right. There's actually more fear of success than I think fear of failure at this point. Because it's like how we see ourselves and like our identity, that would have to change to get to certain places. 
you know if we see ourselves as a struggling artist then doing something successful would be dangerous you know but if you can visualize standing on that stage or like Glastonbury if you can visualize like your album going to number one it's like that's not scary anymore because it's happened in your mind sure and I think even this year like I've kind of gone back to that visualization that I haven't done for years and I really I really over Christmas I was like what would something I really want that I'd never asked for and I was like I really want to play Graham Norton because I love his show so much and I've always watched it since I was like eight and I visualized like sitting on the sofa and like him like talking to me and I was just like I had the best time in my head but I was like that's obviously never going to happen two and a half months later I am sat on that sofa I'm like mother of god I'm like this is not real and also there was no chance of me getting that it was the final slot of the final season and there were 15 people ahead who were booked to do that show and he decided to champion me like like as an independent artist to get that is just like just doesn't happen so yeah incredible so you basically you're just enjoying the ride at this point this is kind of okay exactly I think I've shifted my mindset to like other people's measurements of things mm. to like my own internal measurements right. of things and also like finding these moments of like micro joy you know in a day and just accepting that they are as va valid as the massive moments and i think the little the little moments of joy and gratitude can ripple into just bigger things sure. because that's just the energy that you're kind of putting out into the world on a daily basis i think i did you know have a couple of years where i was kind of like i was so tired that i didn't I kind of lost that gratitude a bit. And I was like, yeah, I'm just kind of getting through it. And it's like, that's not the mindset to have, you know? If you need that time off, if you need that time to rest. Yeah, I take resting a lot more seriously mm -hmm. than I did. Because it's not something that people... I did a, like a sort of... It was called a goddess course. It was amazing. <laughs> and it was basically like about that kind of... Just, just being. And that mm -hmm. being enough. Because I think our world has taught us that it's like, you have to do this thing to get this thing, to be this thing. And it's like... You don't, you can make your own rules and you really can accept that if that makes you happy, whatever, however small, you know, and you're not hurting anyone, like then that's, that's valid. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I read a book, I think it was called something like Embracing the Ordinary or something. It was kind of this, ah. this, no, this notion of you don't have to be a superstar to be happy in this world. You can do anything in a way and, and just based on as you mentioned your perspective on life and, and that that helps that 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 determines a great deal i suppose um yeah. th there's one last thing i want to talk about which is uh weekends because i saw a live video i can't remember where it was Al alexandria or something oh yeah alexander palace yeah alexander your and then this is also said in the comments below but your voice sounds just exactly like you do on the records so how do you how do you I don't know how I should ask this question, but how do you perceive your, your own voice and how do you work on it to have such control in, in those moments? Well, this is a really good point because I'd never had singing lessons until like sort of four, five years ago. And that's like okay. my whole life I'd been singing okay. and I'd never had lessons. So for me, I was really struggling with the pressure that gets put on the vocal cords. They're just little chords. And it's like, they have so much pressure on them and also stress can affect your voice massively. Mm. And so I've actually... I've I had a vocal teacher and he was in LA called Ron Anderson he's he is the best or was the best like because he very sadly passed away over lockdown and yeah. I felt like really really lost without him genuinely because I was doing his I had an hour long recording but I just decided I was going to do it every day I was going to train like an athlete 
and I'm just going to see what could happen because I think before I was kind of coasting on the fact that I could kind of learn a cover in a day and sing it and everyone would say it was good I was like cool mm. but now I was like I don't just want to be good I want to be great I want to see what it would feel like to feel like well rested well trained and like powerful and just ready you know when opportunities come in because these incredible opportunities do come in and there was one over the lockdown and I said no to it because I was just feeling so physically not prepared mm. and I look back and I'm like holy sh and that was a real catalyst moment for me where I was like I can't let this happen again. I have to train like an athlete because I will regret it for the rest of my life. You know, these opportunities, they're not a forever thing. It's kind sure. of like making hey, well, the sun shines. The sun is shining. It hasn't shone for a while and I'm just going to make the most of it. But yeah, I, I got a, like a little folding treadmill for Christmas <laughs> and I've been doing my vocal training on it every single day. And I'm trying to practice standing up, which is one of my biggest fears because I've sit down or I hide behind the guitar. And so for me, like standing up and singing on Graham Norton, it was like, you know, I'm like on the treadmill at like 2 a.m., like in these like massive like boots, heels, sure. trying to do my vocal training. And it's like, I love like working really hard in the darkness for those moments that hopefully make it look effortless. Um, and also just treating it much more like, much more like a muscle and much mm. more like something you can work on than, than just like a talent, you know? I think it is something you can grow and work on, but I found his protege, Ron's protege, called Dr. Pipe and we've just started doing lessons again on online I'm doing one tomorrow I'm, I'm like four in and already I feel insanely strong like this okay. this man like Ron he saved like Adele's voice like after mm. surgery like Beyonce's voice when she was about to lose it Alicia Keys like every major singer you have ever heard of he has saved their voice so I'm okay. incredibly grateful to him and I think it's one of the reasons why I don't have any like nodules or anything because I know people much younger than me who do mm. um so it's important to like keep the stress in your life low, but keep the training, you know, consistent and high. And um, I have a diary that I write every night. And basically I have like my little, my little stars. And if I do my vocal training that day, if I get out and do my 10,000 steps, if I play music, <laughs> if I, you know, eat consciously and enjoy my food, like I get my stars. And then that's all I'm trying to do is just that one page. And I think it builds into something bigger than that. It's a kind of atomic habits thing, I think. No, but that, I think it's 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 only common sense to approach what you do as as an athletic endeavor because it is it is very physical. You have to be able to control your body from from the core and everything. So it's it, yeah. I, I think not a lot of musicians re, uh, realize this. Perhaps maybe once they go out on the road and they figure out, okay, I need to be uh, fit to to be able to do this. I, I have one of those Fitbits, so I try to do ten thousand steps as well. <laughs> oh my god, amazing! Isn't it so fun? I feel so much better. That's yeah, the yeah. biggest shift I've made over the last year is going from doing like no steps and like just to getting outside every day for like at least a couple of hours. It's amazing, but especially if you're mental health, well, it's so good. It focuses yeah. your, your mind, and you become a little bit competitive. If you if you didn't make it the last day, then the next day you want to go over was, and all that stuff. I was doing promo in Dublin, and we got somewhere half an hour early. I was like, "Can I just like walk around <laughs> Dublin for like half an hour?" And they were like, "Okay." I was like, "I need to get my steps." <laughs> I've, um, I've literally done that at people's houses and stuff, where I just walked around the room. Yeah, just be like, I, I need to get those steps. My dad actually it. walked up and down the corridor in their house. They have like a really long flat, and he walks up and down. You just hear him like pacing, but he can sometimes get like twelve thousand in a day just from listening to podcasts going back and forward. It's amazing. Yeah, perfect. Um, Freya, may I thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me? Oh, thank you, Robin. This has been a real joy. I've loved talking to you.